Take your Bibles and turn with me again this week to Hebrews chapter 13. As we come to the very close to the end of this book, as we've moved through it very methodically for the last, uh, well, I think this is the 58th sermon in this book. And uh, to be honest with you, we've just kind of flown through it. We could have spent a lot more time on some of that. I know for you, some of you think, that, well, we've been in Hebrews forever, but we really haven't. And uh, we got, I think the Lord's leading sort of to follow up Hebrews with uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, the Gospel of John will take even longer than Hebrews. So uh, just to give you a warning. Uh, I'm, I'm do, I had told the staff a few weeks ago that I, I wanted to do something I'd never done since I've been preaching. I've been pastoring now for over 30 years. And I have, ne and this is to my shame, honestly, but I have never preached through a gospel. I can't, I can't believe it. I looked back on my notes. I never have. I've, I preached sections. I preached on the Olivet Discourse out of Matthew. I preached on the Sermon on the Mount here out of Matthew. Sections of gospels, but never through an entire gospel. And so I was weighing it out between Mark and John and praying about it and thinking about it and just feel really like John is the direction I'm going to go with. A lot of the reason is because John is a great follow-up to Hebrews. Or Hebrews would be a great follow-up to John. Both of which are pointing to the, to the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we'll follow that up and we'll keep the thought going. I think we'll see, have a great time together in John's Gospel over the next, uh, maybe till I retire. Who knows? But anyway, we will, uh, we will look at that. But today we want to look specifically at... Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. Uh, this is a verse that, quite honestly, most Baptists would just rather it not be in the Bible. You know, they, they really hate verse 17 for the most part. I had a, I had a professor in seminary tell me one time, this is the, the verse that Baptists most need to hear, but most, most hate to hear, even talked about. I've talked to some pastors who have honestly said, when it comes to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, I just skip it because it just seems difficult. And I, I had one of my staff say this morning, you know, I, I've really dreaded you getting to this place because I said, well, why? I think it's great. He said, yeah, but it, it really puts a lot of responsibility on us, and it does. As a matter of fact, the main responsibility of this passage is on pastors, on elders, on, on bishops, those who lead congregations and are called by God to minister in a full-time way. There's a heavy and a, and a significant responsibility given. But there's also a responsibility to the church, to individual believers in the body of Christ, to be sure that, that you help aid that responsibility and lighten that load somewhat rather than bearing down on it. And we'll see what the writer says about that as we move through this message. Just three, three verses. Starting in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now again, that's not something Baptists, or even Americans for that matter, really like to hear. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you pray for us for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things and I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored 
to you the sooner. And that just means I may be with you again, that I may come and minister among you again, or, or come and minister with you, uh, is what he's talking about there. Now, this is an interesting passage, because I, I dare say that most people, sitting in Baptist churches anyway, are more concerned about how are we going to vote on matters, and how are we going to decide where the, churches go, the church goes, rather than they are, what is it the pastors or the elders are leading us to do? But yet the writer uses very emphatic language here when he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, now that's not an absolute thing, understand. That, that's not a matter of saying, okay, no matter what they're doing, no matter how they're living, no matter what they're teaching, you just be sure that you obey them. No, the scripture is very clear that every believer is a, is a priest before God and every believer is to search out the scriptures for him or herself. And they're to evaluate what is coming out of a pulpit, they're to evaluate what is coming out of a Sunday school class uh, as to whether it lines up with the word of God. As a matter of fact, back in this chapter in verse 7, it said, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith. And we talked about there what he's saying is if, if you have leaders who are seeking God and you have leaders who are proclaiming and teaching the word accurately and you have leaders, pastors, elders who are seeking to take you in the right direction in your walk with Christ, then follow them, obey them, submit to them, hear what they have to say and let your life be conformed to what they are pointing you toward. Don't conform your life to me. I'm trying to say to you, Follow me and conform your life to Christ. Follow me and look to Christ. All through this book, the writer has said, look unto Jesus, putting away your sin, putting aside every encumbrance that weights you down. You look unto Jesus. And that's what my ministry is, what my goal is, and that of the other pastors of this church, is to say to you, look unto Christ. Now, our life has to model that to some degree for you to be able to do it. You are to look at us, and if you see disobedience, if you see sin, if you see a, a, a moving away from the truth of God's Word, and God's Word does not line up with what we're saying, you're not to say, oh well, they're the elders, they're the pastors, they're teaching us error, they're leading us into sin, but we'll just happily go to them. No, with them, that's not it at all. But as long as those whom God has placed in the place of leadership within a congregation are leading you in, in accordance with God's word, in accordance with God's truth, you're to follow. You're to submit. Even that difficult and heavy word, obey, you are to do. You see, we as Baptists believe in the priesthood of every believer, the priesthood of all believers. But that has almost been misinterpreted and reinterpreted in Baptist churches to believe that we believe in the eldership of all believers. That is that everybody has a right to determine the, the direction. Everybody has a right to choose for themselves what they want to do and how they want to do it. That's not what the scripture teaches. The priesthood of all believers means that you have free and, and, and un, untethered access to God in your prayer, in your worship, in your study of the word, you had the free and untethered access to God. When Christ died on the cross and the veil in the temple was rent and torn apart, you stand now not needing a priest on this earth. You stand with your high priest in the Holy of Holies before God himself. And that's your responsibility as well as your right. Too often we take that as a right and forget that there is a responsibility there. 
A priest is one who intercedes for other people, and you're to intercede for one another. A priest is one who helps take people into the presence of God, and we are to go ourselves into the presence of God, but we are to minister to one another in such a way that we take each other into the presence of God. That's the priesthood of all believers. But there is an eldership that is not for all believers. There is a pastorship that is not for all believers, but rather it's for those who have been called and set apart by God and, and chosen by the congregation. There is congregational uh, uh, affirmation and congregational reception, but once that has been established, until there is disobedience to God's word or, or sin that disqualifies them, you ought to follow your pastors. And I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about our pastors that we have four pastors in this church that, are, that set out to lead and direct under the authority of God. Well, well, why did he do that? He says in verse 17, let him do it with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable. So it would seem that what the writer is saying here, that it is profitable for you to do this. It is for your good, for your benefit, for your spiritual growth, that you be obedient in this area. That you not be a, a rebellious sort. You remember in the Old Testament, uh, Korah and his cohorts? In, in the book of Numbers, Korah went before Moses, him and some others, and said, what, what do you mean telling us what to do? God is holy among all the people, and all of the people are a holy assembly before God. We're not going to listen to you. We're going to do what we want to do. It was a rebellion by Korah and those against Moses and, and, and Joshua and Aaron and those who were leading the people. And they said, listen, we're going to do our own thing. We're just as spiritual as you. We're just as right as you. We're, we're just as smart as you. And we're going to do what we want to do. And Moses didn't argue with them. He just went before God and said, God, you've got to handle this rebellious people. And what happened? The earth opened up, swallowed them, destroyed them. There was, a, there was a great judgment that day because Korah said, I'm going to establish myself in the place of Moses. And Moses had a God-ordained, God-established position that nobody else had a right to at all. That's the way it is in the church. God has established elders or pastors who will serve the body. Now, now they are to serve. They're not to, they're not to lord it over. They're not to uh, 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 insist on their own opinion or their own way. See, God said amen. They're not to say, oh, it's, it's my way or the highway and, and I'm always right. That, there are times pastors are wrong and they, they need to be corrected lovingly and faithfully by the word but not on the basis of opinion, on the basis of God's Word. You know, the, the thing is, God established pastors and elders for the good of the body, for the benefit of the body. And he says that we watch over your souls, literally with fear and trembling, because we watch over your souls as those who will give an account. God holds me responsible, and these other pastors responsible, for your spiritual growth, for your spiritual maturity. The, the word there that he uses for watch over is literally in the Greek. It, it means sleepless, without sleep. These men watch over your souls sleeplessly because they are going to give an account to God for your walk, for your maturity, 
for your growth in Jesus Christ. I've got to tell you, that's a heavy, heavy responsibility. It's a responsibility that, that quite honestly, is, is, is something I, I just soon God had not said. I, I just soon God had said, listen, Baptists are going to be a bunch, of, a, a bunch of rebellious kind of folks anyway, so just, just don't worry about them. They're, they're priests before me. Let them worry about themselves, and you just be sure and take care of yourself. But he didn't do that. As a matter of fact, in the passage that, that Brother Todd read as our, as our scripture reading this morning out of 1 Timothy, Paul talks about the responsibilities of an elder, responsibilities of a pastor or an overseer, one whom Christ places over his flock, over his church. And, and those requirements are very great. They, they are, they are they're heavy requirements. Now, quite honestly, there's nothing extraordinary about them. Because in reality, every believer, what he's saying there is just a pastor, an elder, an overseer must be a mature Christian. Because every one of those requirements are requirements that you ought to be a, a striving to, that you ought to be aspiring to, that you ought to desire to have in your own life. Because they are marks of spiritual maturity before the living God. I, I like the way, you know, when, when we're talking about the responsibility that God has given to pastors, Paul dealt with that again with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. When he's talking to Timothy, he said, here's, here's what the pastors are to be about. Here's what the elders are to be about. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's what I charge you to do. I charge you to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and, and with great patience and instruction. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now Paul is talking in what we refer to as the pastoral epistles. Second Timothy is one of the three pastoral epistles. He's talking to the pastor there in Ephesus, Timothy. Maybe not pastor or elder in the same respect as we think of it today, but Timothy was, was setting up the churches in Ephesus there. He was establishing them, and he was charged with being sure that his main responsibility is preaching the Word. We live in a day that quite honestly wants more of a chaplain than they do a pastor. They want somebody who will hold their hands when they're sick or grieving. They want somebody who will visit them in the hospital. They want somebody who will always, quote, be there. And, and we desire to do that. But that is not the most important thing that we do as pastors. The most important thing and the thing that God, only thing that God has charged us with is to preach the Word, to declare the Word, to instruct the body in the Word of God so that you might grow. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said in chapter 4, verse 11, he said, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man and woman, to the measure of the statute which belongs 
to the fullness of Christ. That's why he gave you these four pastors. He gave them to Grace Baptist Church for us to instruct you, to equip you, and to build you up, and to equip you to do ministry. We've talked about this before numerous times. I am not the minister of the church. The, we are not four ministers of the church. Grace Baptist Church has about 300 and some odd ministers according to the scripture. And if you're a part of this body, you are a minister of this body. You are to be involved in ministry. You are to be involved in evangelism. You are to be involved in missions. You are to be involved in, in, in just outreach into this community. Doesn't mean you'll always go overseas. Doesn't mean you'll always uh, do something in, in Peru or something in India or, or China or somewhere like that. It means, though, that you are charged with a ministry. Your ministry might be within the confines of this body and helping equip others who will go. Your ministry might be here in Somerset or in Pulaski County, something like we're doing it at Hopeway and Colonial Village as our, as our Bible schools. Rather than just coming in and saying, let's all bring a lot of people here and have a Bible school, we're going into an area where people who would not normally come to a church for a Bible school, and we're doing it not just to reach the children, but also to seek to reach the adults that are there. That's why we need adults there that week in both places. Not that week, this week, starting tomorrow. We, we need adults there to help minister to the adults who will come out with their kids, who will sit on their doorsteps, who will just walk by to talk to them and lovingly share the gospel with them. That's ministry. But if you've been called by God to salvation, you've been called by God to ministry. We're not ministers of the church. We are pastors of the church. And, and as pastors, our call is to equip you and build you up and bring us to a unity of the faith. I, I love that phrase that Paul uses there because he's already talked about the unity of faith back up early in this chapter when he says, there's one body and one spirit just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. That was an early confession of faith. That was an early creed, if you will where Paul is saying, listen, it's all about this oneness. It's all about this unity. And we as a body are to be drawing closer together in unity of the faith. In unity. And that means we come to a greater knowledge of the Son of God. We know Christ better. And Paul wrote the Philippians and he said, that I may know him. 20 years after his conversion, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death. Paul is expressing his greatest passion in his life and that is to be our greatest passion in our lives and as a church, to know Christ better. So the author here says that we are to obey our leaders, submit to them as long as their life and their conduct is something that is worthy of imitation, as long as they are teaching the truth, because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, they'll be held responsible, God will charge us if, if you aren't growing. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. Because if, if a pastor, an elder is grieving over his ministry, he will not fully feed you the truth of God's Word. I've been there. I've grieved over ministry before. 
I've grieved in ministry before. And I tell you what, that distracts you from the most important things of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It distracts you into a defensive mode. It, it distracts you into doing things that you don't need to be doing because it's such a hurtful thing. The writer here, again, who I think is Luke, is saying you need to do this so that they can do their ministry, they can do their pastoring, they can do their eldering with, with joy. Rejoicing in the presence of one another. Rejoicing in the truth of Christ. Let them do it with joy, not with grief. For if they're doing it with grief, it is unprofitable to you. You know, when you think about this, you realize that the importance of it that, that the author here is saying and what Paul has said about it, it all comes down to verses 18 and 19. Now I realize when, when, when the writer is writing here in 18, he says, pray for us, there is, a, there is a specific us involved there, and it's not me. In interpreting that, it's talking about Again, I think Luke, and, and I'll talk about that next week, why I think it's Luke. But Luke and his cohorts, Luke and those who are with him, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience. In other words, we, we are living in, the, in a right relationship with Christ and desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. We don't want to dishonor Christ. We want to honor Christ. And I urge you all the more to do this. Do what? Pray. I urge you to walk in a good conscience. I urge you to conduct yourselves honorably in all things. I mean, the, the things that we desire to do as ministers of the gospel are the things that we want you to desire to do above everything else. So how do you make application of that? What is he saying here when he says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, pray for us. I think there's an application there of how you can encourage and how you can minister to your pastors. Because you see, we need ministering too just as much as you do. We're susceptible to the attacks of the enemy just like you are. We're, we're susceptible to getting down and discouraged just like you are. And we try to encourage you. We try to lift you up. We, try to, we, try to, we, we pray for you. So how do you minister to your pastors as a body? I know this sounds like a very self-serving sermon, okay? But it's in God's Word, so I've got to preach it, all right? He made me. So the devil didn't make me do it. God made me do it. All right? How do you do that? I think there are four things you need to learn to do as, as ministers in the body toward your pastors, toward those who lead you, toward your elders. One, what he says there, pray for us. Listen, I, I, I want you to be praying for us every day, praying for us that we will keep our focus on Christ in our personal lives. Praying that we will walk in accordance to God's Word, that we will be led by His Holy Spirit in everything we bring before you. I mean, if you're supposed to obey us and submit to us, you, you have a vested interest to be praying that, that we are doing what is right at all times. And pray for us that God will direct us. Pray for us that God will strengthen us. Pray for us that, that God will do a new work of grace in our heart and life every day. That we will wake up every day renewed and revived by the Spirit of God.
that we will wake up every day grieving over our own sin and confessing that to God. Because yes, we do have sin. And confessing that and grieving over that and, and repenting of that every day and seeking a new fullness of the Spirit of God in our life every day that we live. Pray for us in very practical ways. Pray for us in our finances. Pray for us in our family life. Pray for us in our sickness. Pray for us in every way that God will strengthen us and lift us up and keep us faithful and keep us strong both spiritually and physically as we walk this walk. Because we're doing it as those who must give an account for your well-being. So it's in your well-being to pray for us. Faithfully, regularly, attentively. Second thing is have patience with us. I know that's not in the text, but, but I think there's an implication there that, that you need as you pray for us, because we want to have a good conscience, we desire to conduct ourselves, but we won't always do that. So be patient with us. Give us the benefit of the doubt. You know, trust us that we're trying to be what God has called us to be. And when we fall, pray for us all the more and have patience with us and help pick us up. Just like we're going to, in many of your cases, help pick you up when you have a stumble, when you have a fall. Have patience with us. We are not perfect. I've told you numerous times, and I keep saying this because I want you to believe it. There is some point at some time in some way that I will let you down. And the other pastors will also. At some point, in some place, at some time, in some way, I'm going to do something, we're going to do something that you're going to be, boy, that really disappoints me in what they did or what they said or what they didn't do. I'm going to let you down. That's why I'm saying to you, as the writer of Hebrews said, don't look unto me as your Savior. I'm not. Look at me how I'm looking to Christ, and you look to Christ and seek to follow Him. But have patience with us. We are men of, with feet of clay. We are, are men who have our, our own struggles that we go through all the time. I, I wish that when God calls a man as pastor, he would make him perfect. I really do. wish he'd made me perfect, but he didn't. So have patience. Pray for us. Have patience with us. Thirdly, be teachable. Be teachable. Now, I'm telling you, be teachable in such a way that you're evaluating everything that's said by the Word of God. But when it fits the Word of God, be teachable. I think that's what he's talking about when he says, they'll give an account. They're keeping watch over your souls. He said the primary responsibility is to preach and to teach the Word. And so the, way, the main way we keep watch over your souls is teach you the Word. So have a teachable spirit. You know, there's some in, in some church, I'm, I'm sure we don't have any here, but there's some in some churches who you can look at them. I preached in church before, and they just sit there like, I dare you to teach me anything. I just dare you to get through to me. You ain't going to do it. I'm going to believe what I want to believe, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and you're not going to say anything to me that makes any difference. You've, you've known people like that. Oh, it's a great discouragement to a pastor. 
it, it causes grief, not joy in ministry. The writer says, be teachable so that they can minister with joy and not grief, because their joy is profitable to you. Their grief is unprofitable to you. Pray for us. Be patient with us. Have a teachable spirit to hear the word of God. And then the final way, and it kind of encompasses all these, but, but I think the fourth way you can encourage your pastors, and this is kind of redundant, but it's through encouragement. You know, there's some people who just have a gift of encouragement. There's some, when they come by my office, I just, I, I love to see them walk through the door because they're coming with a word of encouragement. They're coming, you know, they're coming to say, listen, God has taught me this this week. You know, you said this in the sermon, and I went and ran it down in Scripture, and, and man, God has just, just taught me so much, and here's what he's teaching me. And, and man, you want to know something that'll, that'll set me on fire? That's it. That's encouraging to me. And then there are others who come in, and they've only got a complaint. I remember talking to a friend of mine who used to be in politics, and and he, he told the story about how they would go out, they, they did town hall meetings, and he always hated town hall meetings. And I said, why did you hate them? He said, because nobody ever said a positive word. All they did was complain. And they complained, and they complained, it just, it just ripped my heart out. So I just couldn't take it. So I wanted one person just stand up and say, you know, Tom, you're doing a pretty decent job. Not doing perfect job, but you're, you're doing a pretty good job. He said, if I could just had one person at a town hall stand up and say that, I would have kept going. But I just got tired of it. Because all it was, was complaints. Yeah, that's the way, that's the way Satan wants it to be within the body. He wants us to not focus on Christ because he knows if we don't focus on Christ, we'll focus on circumstances. And if we focus on circumstances, we will grumble. Why do you think Paul said to the Philippian Christians, listen, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without being a leaky faucet all the time. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. But keep your eyes on Christ and keep your walk in Christ and follow him. And follow those whom he has given you to lead you. It's not rocket science. It's, it's fairly simple. How God wants his church to function for his glory. Now, now I'll be honest. I'm, uh, to some, in, in most cases here, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Because I know you do that. You, you do that in so many different ways. And, and, and you do it in, in ways that, that just humble me beyond words but it's important not just to me but to these other pastors that you encourage them that you pray for them that you show patience to them that you have a teachable spirit with them because God has sent us here for your good and we will give an account because we are to restlessly sleeplessly keep watch over your souls you are my responsibility and you are these guys responsibility I'll admit, sometimes at night I ask God why he gave some of, some of you to me as a responsibility. But nonetheless, he did. And I will take that seriously till the day I die, as long as I'm your pastor. And so will these other pastors. As long as they're at this church, they will take seriously the fact that we are watching over your soul. 
that, that's why the scripture says obey your leaders submit to them it's for your own good it's for your own growth if they depart from the truth don't follow remove them if they depart in in moral conduct don't follow remove them don't rebel against them don't be rebellious in your spirit but just remove them for the glory of Christ you see this is very practical it's very functional that's what this whole 13th chapter is it's very practical to church life it's very practical to spiritual growth and God desires that we understand that and then we walk with that listen I, I've Basically, in your faith talk today that, that Brother Todd and Brother Scott put together for, for you to be able to talk about this as a family, basically your faith talk is the outline of the sermon. Talk about those things together today. Because we want to be a church that is honoring Christ above everything else. We want to be a church that is obedient to Christ more than worrying about what the world is saying or what other churches are doing or how they're doing it. We just want to be obedient to Christ that we may glorify Him and glorify God and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? As you're praying, I want you to notice one thing. The title of this sermon was God's Gift of Leaders. It is a gift to you. It is a spiritual gift to the body for the good of the body. May we be grateful to God for the leaders that He has given, both here and beyond. I have leaders too. May God hold us as a pastoral staff accountable before you for the glory of Christ Father we thank you this day O Lord for your presence we thank you Father for your goodness for your glory we thank you for moving in our hearts and our lives and teaching us through your word even in difficult passages for us sometimes help us Lord to be obedient to your truth pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.